Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm Neil Anthorpe and I'm joined as always by former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we look ahead to England's ODI series against the Netherlands, which is live and exclusive across the TalkSport network starting on Friday. The New England white ball head coach Matthew Mott joins us to discuss why he has decided to take up the role, whilst Netherlands skipper Peter Saylor tells us who to look out for from a Dutch perspective. As well as this, cricket writer Bertus de Jong will explain why the Netherlands aren't at full strength for the series. So there's plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport. So, Harmi, um, it's a it's a bilateral series. Um, there are three one-day international games of cricket to be won. Um, and uh, there are points in the World Cup Super League to, uh, to be earned. But outside of that, outside of just you know winning the games... What are, what are the main objectives? Um, but what what are England looking to achieve apart from three wins and thirty points? Um, are they are they taking guys like Luke Wood, Bryden, Carson, David Payne along to make up the numbers again and carry the drinks, or should they be playing? I hope not. I hope, but I hope they play. I look at this side, and I think the seven guarantees bankers, and you go for it. You got Morgan, Mo and Ali, Josh Butler, Rashid, Roy, Milan, Livingston. They're in. They're probably in not only T Twenty World Cup. They're in 50 over World Cup in, what, 12, 18 months' time. England tried to find left armour. They picked one right-arm seamer and five left armers. They tried to find this this one fits-all for, is it T20 and 50 over. You've also got to chuck in with that. Because it's a 50 over competition, you've not got Tamil Mills. You chuck Tamil Mills into their left armour group. So there's six there that England probably whittled that down to one, possibly two, for Owen Morgan to have two world competitions, 20 and 50 over in a space of a year. At this minute in time, I think Reese Topley is leading the way. 
I think he's a very, very good bowler. He's a very, very good cricketer. And I think if he had a body which was durable, he could get a lot of test match wickets because I think he's got a lot of things going for him when he's fit and firing and playing. I like this squad. I think it's a, it's a good squad. They'll not lose. They'll win 3-0 and they'll win 3-0 comfortably. And that's not me being arrogant as an Englishman thinking, you know, we'll, we'll go and sort of steamroller the, um, the Netherlands. I just think the batting units that's going across there is too good not to lose. So I, I can only see England winning 3-0. And then I would like to see each and every one of these bowlers get a goal. I'd love to see David Payne get a goal. I wanted to see him in the Caribbean. He didn't get a chance. It's great to see Sam Curran back playing for England again. And I'm intrigued by Luke Wood because I actually think Luke Wood could throw his hat in the ring for a test match call-up because I think he looks as though he is the one that's more durable than the rest of the left armers. And he's got a bit of pace, looks as though he's got a bit of a character. And I think he's he's got a good enough skill set to, to challenge for red ball and for white ball. So I think all in all, it is, it's a good squad. And the one person I think would have played for England instead of Matt Potts at the start of the year, if he hadn't been injured, would be Brian Koss. Because I've I've said from Durham's point of view, he's he is a he is a he is a very very fine bowler, and when he's fit and firing, and he, he can bat as well at number eight, number nine. If you were talking about the Red Bull game, so all in all, I think it's a very very good and exciting squad going to a bilateral series, which we've got to fulfil. Without being arrogant, I think England go over there and, and steamroll the Netherlands. How could they lose? I know you can't see it, but um, I remind you that the West Indies were 99 for five in the second One Day International of their series. I know they won um, and won comfortably in the end. Let's say the Netherlands prepare a green top, roll the dice, gamble, win the toss, put England in, and they're, and they're 60 for four. Not all, all like the West Indies, 99 for five. The trouble is, you look at this England squad and everyone bats. <laughs> they bat yeah. down to number 14. Exactly. That's why they can't, That's why they don't lose, unfortunately, man. It's 66 for, 66 for six, and they've still, they, they still got batters coming in, and Sam Curran and, and, and one or two others, David Willey, if that comes to it. So that's why I don't see them winning. Mentality, I don't see them going over to the Netherlands and thinking it's a bilateral series. We're playing against an associated nation. Let's go to Amsterdam for five days, take a few pictures, enjoy ourselves. What a great city it is. And we'll pop back out and go somewhere where, obviously, proper cricket's played. Owen Morgan doesn't think that. Matthew Mott won't think that. He's got to remember Matthew Mott's first series as full England coach in the white ball game. That's why there won't be any complacency. England will go and do a professional job and professional performance. They will conduct themselves as ever, as Owen Morgan's sides normally do the best they possibly can. They'll be great ambassadors for this country and for the game. Can I see them losing? What will it take? Did England get a little bit of a scare? England have struggled on slow, turgid pitches in the past. And that's what we had when the Netherlands played the West Indies. But even if they do that, I still think the skill sets of 15 players, 16 players that's going over there. And I sound arrogant by saying like, like this, but I, this England side is just too good. They're too good. It's, they, they really are. I don't see anywhere that they can slip up because of mentality. They'll be at it. Skills, skill levels, they'll be at it. And I think the Netherlands, and I, and I really sound sort of egotistical here, but I think the Netherlands will come good out of it because England will do things properly in the right way. Yeah, they'll, be, they'll be good with 
the, the crowd and everything that goes with it, it will be, I would hope that the Netherlands cricket will, will feel well, we've, we've played against a wonderful side here. We've played against a fantastic side and they've actually enhanced the game of cricket in, in the Netherlands by having England here. And I just think that they'd just be skill sets will be just too good for them. The Dutch um, Cricket Association are, are confident of of selling uh, over five thousand tickets. I know this uh, Amstel VN holds five and a half thousand, and they're they're confident of getting a full house at least once in the three games. And that would be that would be fantastic because you know there were no more than a couple of dozen watching the West Indies series. So it's the big three: India, Australia, and England are the only three nations so far to have series which overlap. Um, this isn't overlapping. I mean, this this series is taking place right bang smack in the middle of the Test Series mm. against uh, New Zealand. But other nations are, couldn't sustain that. I don't think they've got the depth of, of quality cricketers. But is it? are you comfortable with it? And is it the start of, of the new normal, at least for the big three? I don't mind it. I think you've got to be... Look, I'm going to sound like Kevin Peterson here when it comes, and I mentioned here pretty year a lot, that you pick and choose your games. But I think from a good board's point of view, if you can pick and choose your bilateral series by putting one-day series in while test matches are going on, and there are series which are against Ireland, the Netherlands, Bangladesh, even Sri Lanka coming into that, Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka coming into that, the big three will be able to cope playing both at the same time. You look at the, the Indians, even though India are playing against a very, very good South Africa side and they were 2-0 down, I'm going... India can still win this 3-2, even with their third eleven. That can happen. You know, they've rested a whole you know, press roll of players. I think that's, I've got no problem with that. And that that is fine. Because at the end of the day, no matter where, from an England point of view, as long as they finish in the top seven in that group stage, I think, then they qualify for a World Cup. They're in the World Cup. Nobody will want to play England. Nobody will want to play India. Nobody will want to play Australia. Now, if they finish fourth, fifth and sixth because they've played, they've been able to stretch the calendar to have two teams playing at the same time and maybe not be as powerful as what they are when it comes to the big tournaments coming and the pool of players that they've got because of the crossover of red and white ball players. Don't have a problem with that. And I still think that we are not being disrespectful to the Netherlands by sending a team like we have to go there. We've got Stella side there. We've got Moen Ali. We've got Josh Butler. We've got Owen Morgan. Arguably three of the most powerful players in franchise white ball cricket going to, to the Netherlands to play in a, in a, in a, in a game and a series. No, I, I, I don't think it's... I think we can cope with things like that um, to keep the calendar going and make sure that we're not devaluing you know, the brand of, of, of cricket that is... I think that needs to be played accordingly to the series that's on offer, which is New Zealand at home. England needs to have the best Red Bull team going. Holland away, there's enough players who aren't playing Test Match cricket can go over there comfortably. And not only, and I'm not talking about winning here, I'm talking about being ambassadors as well as growing the game. Owen Morgan, the best one of the best captains that's ever been for England, is going to lead a side into the Netherlands with... Josh Butler, Moen Ali, Liam Livingston, David Milan, Jason Roy, Adil Rashid, Sam Curran. That's that's a good side going over there. So it's not as though we're sending a B side, a C side or a D side. We're sending some big hitters to Holland. So, no, I don't have a problem with that. OK, final question. You mentioned Owen Morgan there. Obviously, we know what his numbers look like over the last year. 
he said that he's not looking uh, further ahead than the next T20 World Cup, and uh, he'll he'll take it, you know, game by game. But what what if he does back all three times and looks scratchy? And I mean, you've always said that you'd be happy to have him in the team if he was averaging fifteen. Um, which is almost what he was averaging for the last yeah. year. But what, what if he doesn't make double figures and, and you know, c- can't hit the ball off the square? He still plays for me. If Owen, Morgan, <laughs> Owen Morgan's like Jimmy Anderson. For me, Owen Morgan's like Jimmy Anderson in white ball cricket. He's got such a mind and such a rare quality that he will always be in my side. Always. For the simple fact is, I always said in, in white ball cricket, Owen Morgan is one of the best all-rounders in world cricket, in white ball cricket, and people go, well, he don't bowl. Not, not bowl, didn't need a bowl. As a captain, decisions under pressure, field positions, bowling decisions, the way he changes the game, that 15 runs, 20 runs. He can say 15, 20 runs with the way he conducts and goes about his job as a leader of that team in the field. So for me, he's like having a, he's like having a, like a sixth bowler, a seventh bowler. And he's batting, just wait till the big stage comes, just wait till the finals day comes, just wait till the big competition comes. Never lets you down. And that's why for me, Owen Morgan, until Owen Morgan, Jimmy Anderson and Owen Morgan tells me they're retiring, I'm going, that's the only way you're not playing in my team. I think he's got enough credit in the bank to go to both World Cups as leader, no matter how many score, how many scores or what his average is leading into the tournament. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we build up to England's ODI series against the Netherlands, live and exclusive on the TalkSport network. Time now to hear from the new England white ball coach, Matthew Mott. I caught up with him a little bit earlier, soon after arrival in the Netherlands. Well, Matthew, thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. Can we start at the beginning? Um, These days, it doesn't seem that there's ever quite such a thing as a, a straightforward job application and appointment there always seems to to be some some connection how how did you come about being offered the job uh well essentially i actually applied for the australian men's job uh which andrew mcdonald got and uh yeah, i went down that process quite a bit and one of the companies that was running that independently was also uh had a, like a brother company over over in England. And uh, so my name was added to a short list there. Uh, I was asked, uh, I wanted to go for the role and I, and I did. So uh, yeah, it was something that wasn't really on the radar. And But once I got my head around what the role looked like and uh, that it w- would be separated to be white ball and red ball, um, I was very excited to, to go for the role and extremely delighted to, to get it. And did you wow Rob Key in the same way that Brendan McCullum did in your interview? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. He doesn't give too much away to me, Keezy, but uh yeah, look, I think it was it was a really good process. I went through four rounds of interviews. I spoke to you know, a lot of different stakeholders, and I felt like you know it was it was a really fair process, and I quite enjoyed it. I, you know, got to speak a lot of cricket. A lot of you know, we dug deep into what what I really believed in, and um, so, you know, hopefully there was a real alignment to where this team wants to go, and that's I feel why I got the role. When England tried split coaches before with Ashley Giles and Andy Flower. It was problematic. I think it's fair to say. I think both men admitted that it was problematic. What's your relationship like with Brendan McCullum? And do you think it will be easier this time, second time around, to differentiate the roles? Yeah, I can't really comment on the past, but what I can comment on is, you know, that we've basically got a blank canvas to work with. We're all, you know, Rob, myself, and Brendan have all come in at the same time. So 
you know, I think that obviously the test team started well, but when we do get an opportunity to all sit down together in the same room and go through it, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll all have some really good, robust discussions about what it looks like, you know, probably over the next 18 months to two years. And uh, that's probably the key for Rob is, is uh, pardon the pun, is to, um, is to work out how he wants it to work. He's articulated to me how he wants it to work. And, yeah, I've got a great relationship with Brendan. I, I coached him at the, the Cold Cutter Night Riders many years ago. And, and you know, we've we've kept in touch ever since. We've we've crossed paths quite a quite a few times and, and he's someone whose cricket brain I really respect. So uh, and the same with Rob, you know, I did an exchange with Kent nearly twenty years ago, well, fifteen to twenty years ago, and uh, really enjoyed his his cricket mind. And uh, once again when I was at Glamorgan a few years ago, we crossed paths again. So there's there's a mutual respect, I think, between the three of us. I think that, um, yeah, it's not going to be all their own way, and there's going to ha- have to be times where someone's going to have to give a little bit for the for the bigger picture. But I'm, I'm sure we can have those discussions. If it isn't already remembered as one of the greatest teams ever, it surely will in the future. The Australian women's team that that you coached, I suppose, it might have been easy to stay there um, and to, to carry on with World Cups coming up. Or did you feel like it was the natural end of a cycle? Yeah, I think for the probably the last 18 months, I, I've been working out the best exit strategy, you know, what, what that would look like. I think any time it's been in the role for seven years and um, yeah, we've had some turnover of players and staff for that time, but I was always mindful that it was, it was we achieved such great things. I didn't want to stay a year too long. And I think, uh, you know, going into another contract, I was due probably in the next eight months to renegotiate. Um, so for, after that World Cup and we had a, a bit, you know, down tools for a bit, it gave me a bit of a chance to reflect on, you know, what it would look like for me going forward and for the group. And I had an inkling that night after the World Cup that that might be my last chance with the group. And I made a real effort to enjoy it and savour it. But I also felt it was a great time for someone else to take over and, you know, Shelley Nitschie's got the first opportunity leading into the Commonwealth Games. She's been a great servant of Australian cricket and, and I hope she does really well. But the leadership group in Meg and Rach, you know, they, they, they're solid and they've got, it, they've got it under control. So you never want to leave something that's so successful, but there, there always comes a time. And to me, this opportunity was, was perfect timing, um, not just for, for me individually, but for my family. We're really excited. We've got some great friends in the UK uh, and we can't wait to meet up with them. And, you know, they're, they're really excited about the adventure in front of the family. So, yeah, we're just really excited about it. You're going from one extremely good team, great team maybe, to to another very good team. Is it harder to make a, a poor team competitive, a poor team good, than to make a good team great? I mean, you're going to a very good team, aren't you? That's a great question. I, I Like, I think... You pretty much summed it up with what you said. Like what you want to do is, is take a team from one one particular point and improve them. And when you look back, you know some of the best coaches have, that I've seen have, have taken teams that were really struggling, rebuilt them, uh, and left them in a better place. And the team is functioning really well. And that's there's no secret in that. I think there's you know Owen Morgan as a, as a leader has done some great things here. There's been some really good contributors, uh, and the depth is is enormous. So for me, it's just those incremental gains that you know, hopefully I can bring to the, the group a slightly different perspective, but certainly not coming in to try and reinvent the wheel. I think it's 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 humming along well. Uh, the team's in a pretty good spot in the white ball cricket, and for you know, success would look like competing in big games, you know, regularly, and that sustained success is what every team craves, I guess. What can England fans expect, Matt? Um, what kind of coach are you? Excuse the predictability of the question, but what's your philosophy? Yeah, I, I, I just believe in um, 
you're called support staff for a reason. And, and so you're there to, to support the playing group. So, you know, the players are the centre of all your thoughts and, that, you know, you need to make sure that you as a support group are, are making them not just better cricketers but better people and one that the fans want to fall in love with as a team. I think that's, you know, just speaking to people when you mention this team, it's it's the way they play which excites everyone. You know, the freedom of, of the batting and, and the adaptability of the bowlers. So, in terms of the philosophy, it's more of that. It's it's more of that empowerment of players, you know, more of a facilitator and a, a I guess the, the the technical term would be like a shared leadership model and, and trying to get everyone in the group to lead in certain ways. So I think the days of you know Kate coach being the dictator in in cricket are you know are, are not there anymore. It's it's more about how you're going to work with the lead the, the designated leaders and how you're going to empower the younger players to lead in their own way as well. What makes you such a good coach? Your record's outstanding everywhere you've you've been. Um, you weren't, with the greatest of respect, the most dynamic player. You were very solid, as I recall, very reliable. But um, there's a there's a dynamism about your your results as a coach. Where'd that come from? I think um, I certainly got a lot more confident coach than I was as a player. I think you know, you've you've alluded to it already that um, I do think that that helps me. I, I was. Uh, I was a player, I was probably a talented young player, but then, you know, I went through uh, most of my career with a lot of self-doubt around my performance and, and how I could improve my game. And so I can reflect back on that a lot. And I think particularly, you know, the fringe players that need that confidence, I, I can find a way to um, have the empathy to, to try and find a way out of it. And, you know, I don't give them the answers, but I, I try and help them find those solutions and, and make sure that they're, they're taking control of their own destiny. And, um, not pigeonholing themselves. So, so a lot of my mates did uh, have a laugh when Brendan McCullum was made the red ball coach and I was the white ball. I think that they, the English, ECB might have been a bit colourblind. But um, I, I do think that we both bring very different perspectives to the group and the need, the perceived needs of what each group needs are, are very different. So, you know, the test team is 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 in a rebuilding phase and they've, you know, they've, they're seeking confidence. Whereas I think this team there's a general feeling that it's going pretty well. and But how do we go from that good to being considered great? And I think every team should aspire to that. And, you know, that's not the only team that will be, will be trying to do that, but we'll certainly be doing that in as much as we can control. Oh, and Morgan's made no secret of the fact, obviously, that he's in the autumn of his career and he's not looking further ahead than the T20 World Cup in less than 100 days. How well do you know him? How have you, Any conversations have you had with him and the other players in the group? Yeah, um, I'd like to say a lot more than I have, but I, you know, I've admired on from a distance. He's he's a player actually. When I did that exchange with Kent, uh, I did meet a couple of times there, and I I had an instant rapport with him. I, I really liked the way he went about his cricket. Um, I've watched him from from a distance as a leader. I've been absolutely blown over by you know, how powerful a leader he is within this group already, and I've only been around five minutes, but you can see when he speaks, um, you know, he commands respect and. And everyone's hanging off his every word. So I, I did catch up with him in London the other day. We had a, we had a nice lunch together and we just you know, went through some of the things that we think is really important and trying to get that alignment. But I really see this tour as being a great opportunity. I'm about to catch up with him downstairs now just to keep you know, teasing out what, where we think the, you know, the areas that we can both help each other out to, to make sure that we're, we're ticking everything off. Some might say that this tour to Netherlands is a, a nice soft start, a nice uh, gentle half volley, but it's also a potential banana skin. Yeah, there's always, yeah, depending on your lens, there's always a, a way to look at it. But 
look, I think it's it's the first one where we get a chance together. It's it's a it's a new experience. The ground looks amazing, and they're they're hoping to get five and a half thousand there, and a lot of English fans as well. So I'm sure the atmosphere will be great. Uh, I can tell you the just seeing the way the the players embraced each other and the support staff at the airport that everyone's really looking forward to this trip. Probably been starved of white ball cricket over the last twelve months, so. Uh, they're really looking forward to getting together with their mates and playing some really good cricket. A couple more, if I may. Um, Mark Elaine and Neil Killeen uh, will be assisting you. Have you caught up with them? I guess you were on the plane together. Yeah, we have. I've, I've actually known Mark a little bit. I, I was, um, you know, I had a little bit to do with Gloucester uh, through Ian Harvey and, and Andrew Simons when they played there as well. So I, I've known him for a long time, not not overly well, but it was really interesting last night. We all caught up as a staff group and and had dinner together and. You know, cricket is such a small world. We had so many connections with different people and, you know, different stories to tell. And, yeah, they fitted in beautifully. Obviously, first day on the tools today, they seem like really good operators and, and excited for this opportunity. So they bring a real freshness to the group, apart from, obviously, a new coach coming in. And, you know, they've been around the game a long time and know a lot of stuff. Final question um, about you and, you know, uprooting from Australia, Um and uh, I don't know whether you're going to be living out of a suitcase or you have been living out of a suitcase. It must have been a, a massive decision. I, I heard actually that you're intending to to settle in Cardiff. Is, is that right? That is right. Yeah, I, obviously I had three years at Glamorgan um, a few years ago. We had some great friends there. Yeah, my wife was absolutely adamant we're living in Cardiff, so I didn't have much of a say in that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, we got some really great friends there. I've got a lot of friends in the north as well. I played a lot of league cricket uh, up in the Lancashire League so uh, and, and even in Scotland. But uh, for us, we've got a lot of mutual friends that you know, we made together and um, you know, we can see you know, the next four years plus our kids going to you know, good school there and, and really looking forward to just a new new environment for them, a new challenge. And I think they're, they're so looking forward to getting over here in, in about a month's time. Thank you so much for your time and um, very, very best of luck. Um, there's an awful lot of white ball cricket coming up and uh, it's a big job to get your teeth into. Thank you very much. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Neil. That was England's new white ball head coach, Matthew Mott, talking to me a little bit earlier. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, Double Ashes winner, former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. A reminder that you can hear live ball-by-ball commentary of the three-match ODI series between the Netherlands and England, live and exclusive on the TalkSport network, with it all getting underway on Friday morning. Next up, we'll speak to Netherlands captain, Peter Seelar. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, as always, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. OK, as promised, we're joined now by Netherlands captain and left arm spinner, all-rounder actually, Peter Saylor. Peter, first of all, the obvious question is, how exciting is it to be playing against uh, the world champions, not in a one-off game, but in a three-match series? Nothing but very exciting. We've had the West Indies over 10 days ago, and I think there was a, a nice appetizer in terms of the excitement that was around. And I think now England coming with um, you know, the buzz and, and everything around it, I think it should be a good day for, for Dutch cricket uh, here in Amsterdam. The expectation, I think, amongst neutrals is that uh, that England will win and, and win comfortably. But then it was before the West Indies series as well. And um, and I think you were, despite missing some, some top players, um, very competitive. But I also got the sense that being competitive wasn't enough. I think you either wanted to, or obviously wanted to, but expected to win at least one of those games. Yeah, well, as you said, I think with, with England especially being... Uh, the defending world champions or, or the other world champion, um, you know, they, they, they should beat us. And I, I guess that's where our opportunities lie. They have to beat us and, and we really want to beat them. I guess that's, I guess that's the main difference. Yeah, I, th- I think also from, from the West Indies point of view, you know, they came over thinking it was going to be a walk in the park. And I think we've showed, uh, especially in glimpses, that we're, we're not as bad a cricket team as, as people might think um, or, or, well, people that definitely don't follow us think we're, we're, we're not that great. That's exactly what you said. Just being competitive is not enough. You also want to put yourself in those positions where you can win the game. And I think against the West Indies um, in ODI 2, we had a we had a good shot, but we missed uh, a run out. You know, having them 99 for five, you know, would have been very different, um, especially if they chased the, the total down five down. You know, what what if uh, a new batsman comes in uh, at that stage? And, and especially that last game, you know, uh, chasing 310 and sort of up until the... 37, 38 over when, when, when Odell got out, we were in the driving seats and unfortunately couldn't finish it off losing by 20 runs, you know, and it was one of those things where, where we actually felt gutted because, you know, there was um, the chance to get our win and, uh, and, and unfortunately we didn't take it this time. So how do you go about uh, trying for a win against England? I mean, you would think that if you just play orthodox cricket and, you know, stand toe-to-toe and trade blows, you will lose. You've got to come up with a cunning plan, haven't you? You know, like an ambush. That, that is exactly right. And I think um, the way England also play their cricket, you know, if 
if you just want to go along with the game, you're going to lose. So in, in terms of that, we, we have to be, you can say brave, but I, I would say, you know, you have to be opportunistic. And, and especially when we've got that feeling and that, you know, that is not game or ball one, especially not in a 50-over game, but it's, it's, it's really once we sense a moment, you, you can't let go, especially not against the best in the world. So, yes, there will also be some plans. And, you know, at, at times you have to be, I wouldn't say rogue, but, you know, maybe do something unexpected, you know, because, like I said, you're up against the best in the world and, and, and at times catching them off guard is, is, is what is needed, is what is required in order, in order to, to shake them up a little bit. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we have to go in, first of all, full of confidence. And I think what, what, what we've, we've been speaking about as a team is that, you know, the West Indies was great. I think England is a different kettle of fish uh, altogether. But in saying that, you know, whatever happens, happens. And in the end, it's a game of cricket and we're about showing how good we can play cricket. And you're not, you're not going to pulling off an upset by just being conventional. Doesn't mean we're going to come out slowing, but we have to be brave. And, you know, once we sense that opportunity, we really have to grab it. Let's just talk about the personnel for a moment. It's frustrating not having Colin Ackerman and Rulof on a Merva, uh, but Tom Cooper returns to the side. And I have to say, um, Vikram Jit Singh, Baz de Lerda, both looked very good. Max O'Dowd, you've already mentioned. And we all fell instantly in love with Shari's Ahmed, by the way. Uh, I mean, what well, a wonderful could. prospect he is as a 19-year-old leg spinner. Yeah, well, in, in, in terms of the frustrating part, I guess it's also now a thing because... I guess for you guys, it's the first thing. Uh, for, for us, it's been going around for, for a number of years, but especially more recently, um, uh, the last sort of half year when coming back from the World Cup and then we had to play um, South Africa, Afghanistan, New Zealand, and the West Indies, all not at full strength is, is frustrating. But on the flip side of that, it's, it's great to see young guys uh, prosper at, 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 at this sort of level. You know, um, Vikram... First of all, he started well in New Zealand, you know, where, where, where he turned some heads where guys were like, oh, this guy can actually play a bit. Um, against the West Indies, there was another step up in terms of his performances. And I think the quicker the bowling becomes, the easier it gets for him. And, you know, he always seems so relaxed about it. And some guys just, you know, the higher they get, the better they play. And I think he's definitely one of those. But especially what you said, a couple of those youngsters, they've, they've, they've really, really done well. And I think that's they don't have yet... Uh, and any scars or anything, they just want to show how 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 much they first of all love cricket and singly how much they want to take it on. And I think that's that's great. From when I started playing, and you play against the big names, you you know you kind of think the names you're playing. And I think more and more, what what has happened, and I think T20 has done it. You know, you just play the ball and it's merit. And if regardless who bowls or who bets, you just you just have to do the best you can. Since then, that is great. Sharice, what a lovely little guy. I think. You know, he started well. I think he, I think he had a very good first game, and you know, it's up for him now to to you know he he might get the opportunity in this series. We'll we'll, we'll have to see what's what's what and what the best combination will be on the day. But yeah, I think I think what those guys have shown is there's some that, that there's some good future for for Dutch cricket uh, in the years to come. You just mentioned when you started to play, um, when you started playing the game. I have to get you to tell the story of. You and Owen Morgan playing against each other at under fifteen level when he was playing for <laughs> Ireland. Is that still fresh in the memory? <laughs> Not that fresh when I when I saw it was twenty twenty one years ago. <laughs> uh, but it was quite funny seeing that photo. Actually, that photo was taken by my mother at that stage, which was quite funny. But yeah, I, I can't say Morgan and I go back a long way in terms of that. We've we've played each other at that at that level, and it was 
That was funny, and it's. I think it's quite funny that in you know after 21 years you're going to shake hands again, but then on the highest level possible uh, in world cricket, you know that 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 two young blokes can 21 yet <laughs> 21 years later shake hands again, throw up a coin for for against England versus Holland. Um, you know on 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 the world stage, I think it's a fantastic sort of story. I'm not even sure if he's going to remember it, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely one. One for the books and one to probably tell my, um, well, definitely my son, but maybe even my grandchildren. I think I think Owen does uh, recall it. How difficult is it to to make progress um, when, I was going to say, the majority of the squad are amateur. Um, the majority of the squad are uh, amateurs. I mean, it's often said that you're the only Dutch cricketer outside of those who are playing county cricket who makes a living wage. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're not buying holiday islands in the Caribbean on, on your salary. You know, I mean, it must be extremely difficult to to make the kind of progress that you would like to, and your ambitions when when the guys are, are having to do day jobs. Um, yes and no, because obviously, obviously, we want to play at the highest level possible. The issue here that I think that we face is we come from Dutch club cricket, which is you know pretty similar to I would say English club cricket, but then there's no not not that sort of building blocks towards sort of like minor county county cricket into the international arena. So by the time you're playing for your country, you're either a seasoned campaigner or extremely talented. Where I guess in Holland, you go from the pure club cricket is that for some of these guys, the next game they play is, is, is against England or is against the West Indies, which is, you know, the best in the world. So in terms of becoming more professional, I think you we kind of lack sort of the professional attitude, what you need in cricket from the building blocks and having seen enough cricket to know what's what. And that's why I guess when associates or, or semi-professional teams play professional teams, that that's, I guess we can get flustered a little bit if things don't go our way or it goes the other team's way is how you react to that. And in cricket, obviously being a lot of a mental game is that you need to have a lot of experience, a lot of mental strength in order to combat with that. But in terms of what you said about how, how we're going and, and, and the progression we make is that we make progression and you can see it from the games we've played up until now. We keep getting better. And I guess where, where the problem lies is once it's finished, what's going to happen then? Are there going to be enough games? Are we going to keep playing enough cricket in order to keep that sort of momentum going? And I guess for all these guys, if then you're all of a sudden not playing cricket for, for months and you have to go back to your day job and there's no foreseeable cricket coming, you know, it becomes tough to keep that sort of motivation going and, and your actual skills to keep progressing because the only way you're really going to keep going in cricket is to play as much games as you can. And I guess the, the lack of game time is, is, is generally what we miss um, sort of over the 12-month basis, year in year. Um, and that is not, not so much frustrating, but especially when you see the youngsters coming through now, you want them to have the best opportunity possible. And, you know, normally the route would be go over in, to England and try and play county cricket, which for us now with Brexit is, is more complicated or not possible. I'm not quite aware of the rules, to be honest. But for us to become more professional, we can always talk about how much you need to earn, but I think it's more about the opportunity for us to play cricket. And I think that where, where we, uh, the guys that have played now for a number of years or were playing back in sort of the 2012, 13, 14 years where we played CB40 was for us the, the perfect way to get accustomed to the, the professional sort of life uh, and, and, and what it means and what the standards are of being a professional cricketer. And unfortunately, we don't have that 
that way anymore. And um, yeah, it's it, it's about the amount of cricket. Okay, right. Final question then, um, Peter. This is your opportunity. We're providing you with the platform. Give us your master plan of how the ECB can help Netherlands cricket. My co-host, Steve Harmison, believes that the 50-over competition should be divided um, into three groups of seven with Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands uh, joining the 18 counties. I wouldn't go so far as to say that the ECB have an obligation to to help the Netherlands cricket, um, but mm. but, but what, what, what would your ideal vision be? We won't term it as a request, just a vision. <laughs> well, as I said, it's about the amount of cricket you play, right? I think you know, and, and it's obviously, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail too much, but infrastructure becomes a problem when you're on the other side of the, the sea. But, you know, for us, I think, especially in terms of trying to become better cricketers and understanding what cricket is about, not just 50 of cricket, but cricket as a whole, um, we, we would definitely have to play sort of like county second 11s or even minor county cricket um, in, in sort of the multi-day formats in, in learning the, the, the real art of cricket betting for a long time, how to get guys out rather than just trying to defend runs and whatever. Um, that there will be a steadily one too much where, or one too many, where I have to agree with um, your co-host in saying that that's where I've learned probably the most of my cricket was in that there was, there was the Pro 40 or CB40 uh, back in the day. Because then we, you know, we played on the professional grounds. And we got used to what the professional standard was like. And actually, like the first two years, we hardly won a game. But I think we won eight on the bounce, uh, purely because we were by then used to the level of cricket. And I think we've progressed nicely through that. So in saying that, yes, that would be great. But even then, you know, with white ball cricket being so much the, the only format that we is that if there would be a chance that would, you know, why, why, why wouldn't we be able to play in the, in the Vitality Blast? Or, or like, and that's what we've done now or over the last couple of years before COVID is that we went on the county trips and pretty much played sort of like, not the development teams, but like the, the fringe players or the guys that were preparing for the white ball season uh, or for, for the Vitality Blast, uh, really. It's, it's just go over and play weekend, a, a week of T20 cricket against for the, the Gloucesters, uh, North Hens, Leicester, um, Glamorgans of the world, and that was for us. That's that's already beneficial as a start. But like being involved in a whole competition, that would obviously be great. And I think what you've seen, even with Scotland and the ECB, might not see it that way. Is that we start, we lose. But I think in terms of the growth that we've made since sort of 2014, is that I don't think we're that far behind um, on, on on county cricket. I'm not saying that we definitely win or whatever, but. The standard of associate cricket, and especially the, the Ireland, Holland, Scotland, and, and there's many more around the world, has, has improved out of sight. And the only way we're going to really get better is to, to get into the sort of professional setup. Create your own. I understand people say that, but it's going to be tough with only 5,000 cricketers in the country. Peter Seeler, thank you so much for your time. And just a final thought. When you're bowling to Josh Butler, just remember he's only another bat- batsman. That is true, and he. I've still got. I've still got room in my pocket for him. So, <laughs> no, I can't say that. <laughs> he's just another guy who's going to get caught down long on. Let's hope. <laughs> Enjoy the series. Have a fantastic time. Good luck. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us, Peter. No worries. Thank you very much. Cheers. That was Netherlands captain Peter Saylor talking to me a little earlier. You're listening to the following on podcast from TalkSport with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we build up to England's three-match ODI series against the Netherlands, which is live and exclusive on the TalkSport network, and it all gets underway on Friday morning. 
So, Harmi, um, we heard there from Peter Saylor. I think he was absolutely brilliant. He uh, agrees with the concept of, of trying to ambush England. Um, he agrees that they've got no chance at all if they stand toe-to-toe and, uh, and try, try to uh, back their skills um, against England. But, he, you know, he said that they, like it against the West Indies, they don't just want to be competitive. They want to try and win a game. But you've already said they've got no chance. Yeah, and uh, I was obviously buoyant about the where England are and what England have got. They've got a leg spinner in Shiraz Ahmed, who I really enjoyed. What a, what a breath of fresh air. He, and we never want to talk about politics in this country, but Brexit and everything that comes with a chance of sort of EU passports getting in, he would have had a contract in the county scene by now. Somebody would have took him. Not he's got he has got so much talent or so much potential that I think somebody would have took him by now. Um, Baz Delida, I think he's got a yard of pace. That talking to Ryan Tendiscarter, he said he's had a bit of injury problems, a long uh, a prolonged period in the game of cricket where he didn't get an injury. He bowled 83, 84 mile an hour. I think if he had a little bit more game time in him and a long game more game time in him. When it comes to a county uh, county circuit, you could see him have an extra yard of pace. He's got something about him. I'm only saying England won't lose because of the talent that England have got, the experience that England have got, especially in the batting department. Whatever surface they want to play on, whatever scenarios that they get, England will not, I don't think England will falter. But the Netherlands have got some fine players. They have got some fine players who are on the up and up and up and coming. They give a little bit of a fright to the West Indies, but England won't do that. These guys don't do that. The best team in the world at white ball cricket, they don't do it. And the batting, batting unit is is that from what... Yeah, Netherlands have got some some good players and the exposure to the cricket would be as good. Uh, still, like like we said to Boris yesterday, we talked about how the, the Netherlands can get better. Netherlands get better by playing the West Indies. The Netherlands get better by playing bilateral series against England. Leg spinner, bowling at Jason Roy coming out at you in the first 15. Owen Morgan hitting you in a completely different area than what Jason would do. And then Liam Livingston coming in later on, who hits sixes. like He doesn't hit 80, 90-metre sixes. He hits 100-metre sixes. Young leg spinner is going to learn how to bowl at these guys. So that's how they're going to get better. I still think there's value in the ECB getting them involved in the white ball English county scene. But that's another argument down the line. They've got some young players that can perform and um, there's no better place to perform on the big stage in front of the TV cameras. You mentioned uh, Bertus de Jong there. He's a cricket writer who specialises in uh, covering the Associate Nations with a particular bent towards uh, the Netherlands. This was him explaining why the Netherlands aren't at full strength um, for the duration of the English English summer. You've got a situation now where with the, both the ICC and the ECB have been on the record saying that it's important that counties release players and that, that you know, the primacy of the international game is something uh, that they both uh, stand for and can get behind. But there's been you know, very little involvement from, from either of those two boards when it comes to the KNCB uh, negotiating with, with players and with counties to get these guys released. Now, from a, from a Dutch perspective, at the end of the day, the, the problem is, of course, just that 
they they don't have their players playing in the Netherlands because it's very difficult to make a living as a professional cricketer in the Netherlands. Um, so they'll see a lot of their best players will be playing at counties. And for the players, there's really uh, very little that you can do because that's where you make your living. And that's it's not just about money. It's also, you know, these are when you're playing for a county, they're the guys that you train with, the guys that you, you, you know, that you see day in, day out. And there's a degree of loyalty there as well. And they don't want to let their counties down any more than they want to let the, the KNCB down. But when it comes to a three-way negotiation between the counties and the KNCB and the players, there's only really one of those three parties that have any, any, any power, any say. Um, and if the ICC and the ECB uh, don't step in, or at least encourage counties to release players, then you're going to see this time again. And it's, yeah, it's just really disappointing that when you've got a summer like the Dutch have that they've never had before and they probably never get again, that they can't get their best 11 on field. Bertus, um, you've got your finger a lot closer to the pulse of associate cricket than I have, but it's my understanding that the letter of the law or the contract actually does give the Netherlands the right to insist that those players come and play. But the amount of, well, cash and goodwill that the likes of Colin Ackerman and Rulof van Amover would lose by going and playing for the Netherlands as much as they might, they might want to. But I, my understanding is that the Netherlands Cricket Board could insist that their players come and play, but there would be too much for them to lose, the players, that is. Yeah, I think, I mean, in theory, under uh, the mandatory release rules um, for the ICC, then the, the Netherlands could use the, the so-called nuclear option um, and refuse to issue uh, no objection certificates um, to the players, and they wouldn't be able to play county cricket either. But the trouble with that, from a Dutch perspective, is not only that they, they, don't, they don't want to do that, they don't want to, you know, hurt these players' careers, they because they're... The, the fact that being a professional cricketer in the Netherlands is not really a viable option. Of the even the, the national team players, of the two players that are on contract, it's really only Peter Saylor that makes a, a, a living wage from the KNCB. Uh, the rest have to subsidise it with contributions from their clubs and from, from coaching and the like. So the, the Dutch are keenly aware of the fact that if you want a young uh, Dutch player to think that he can make a career as a cricketer, you can't have that without the option of playing you know, either across the North Sea or in, say, New Zealand or in Australia, they know that if, you know, these youngsters coming up thinking, I'm going to make a career as a cricketer, it's not just about the players that are at playing county cricket now. It's also about these, these kids coming up that they want to believe that they can have a career as a county cricketer and that's, or, you know, as a professional cricketer at all. And that is not something, at least at the moment, um, that's a reasonable prospect uh, in the Netherlands, so it's it isn't it isn't purely that you know that the county are unable to get these players over. They don't want to spoil those relationships with counties, and they've they've you know the county have a long-standing relationship with with English cricket. Um, the Dutch are maybe the only other cricket country in the world that routinely cheer for England in Test games. You know, it goes back you know over a century that relationship, and it's not something that the KCB um, really want to poison through through yeah through taking that kind of option. That was associate uh, cricket writer Bertus de Jong explaining um, why the Netherlands aren't at full strength. You can understand guys like Colin Ackerman and Rulof van der Merwe not making the trip. Um, they're intrinsic uh, to their teams um, in the championship, um, but playing a very important role in the blast. Um, a pity that Brandon Glover is not there, the, the South African turned, turned Dutchman. Um, he's playing in North Ant's second eleven at the moment. He's a, a very, very decent bowler. It is frustrating, but do you know, Harmi, I mean, as as we discussed with Bertus yesterday, the Netherlands could insist that they come and play, but I think there's too much to lose for the players. And, you know, the Netherlands aren't 
ambitious above their station, if, if you like. And it's just a practical thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it was interesting as well to, to hear Peter Saylor talking about your suggestion that the 50 over competition becomes three, t- three uh, groups of seven with um, Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands joining in the 18 counties. Uh, he was also suggesting that they played some maybe second 11 cricket and um, and even even feature in the blast. I mean, it's a, it's a big enough tournament to feature another couple of teams, isn't it? Absolutely, 100%. But I've always said if you could put if you could put a first class system in Scotland and in Ireland and in the, now in the Netherlands, you would enhance cricket in the Northern Hemisphere. And that would help the English cricket team because each of their countries will get better and they'll play against other associated nations. It'll put a higher value on one-day cricket and white ball cricket for these bilateral series to be more of a contest, a better contest, a bigger contest, grow cricket in the areas, which is so important, whether we are, we are England and Wales cricket board, whether Wales becomes a, their own nation and, and, and comes in, a, in in that front. Because everybody, and again, I'll mention his name again. I'll keep mentioning his name and keep digging at him in Kev. Uh, Kevin wants that 10-game, 10 10-county, 10 shortest format, best players playing against each other. Well, I don't see any reason why we can still have that, but have feeders into it. And the feeders into it, you know, sometimes, sometimes adding to it is better than taking things away. Now, if you have got 18 first-class counties, which we have, we could potentially have 21 viable entities, first-class counties and three other you know, countries coming into it who could throw all their money and resources into making cricket in this region a lot better. And then all of a sudden you go head-to-head and toe-to-toe. Holland, with money in the bank, will produce a system which will make Holland better. So will Ireland, so will Scotland. Now, if it enhances them in, in, in sort of England as well, I don't see I, I don't see who who loses here. I think it'll be you know, far better, and we go over and you know you you attract better countries to come to play against England. But they'll also play against Holland, play Ireland, and play against Scotland. It's a no-brainer for me in the Northern Hemisphere, and that's what makes Netherlands cricket better. That's what makes these associated nations go from associated nations to test play nations. Because you know we are largely down to England and the Northern Hemisphere, who play a hell of a lot of cricket, and we we talk about our calendar. I think we could not. We wouldn't. We we'll always play loads of cricket because of of, of of who we are. But I think we can help other countries, especially around us, to enhance the the game. Man, as we've just watched a game of cricket finish on day five at Trent Bridge, seventeen and a half thousand people get free tickets to get in. And I reckon 20% of that ground, 15% of that ground, potentially had watched at most four test matches in their entire lives. We, we, we built the game. Johnny Bestow walks off, helmet in the air. Stokes is telling the world what a great, what a great thing this test match game has been. And we've brought a new audience in from Nottingham, maiden students. Now, why can't we bring that to... Holland, Ireland, Scotland, and enhance the Northern Hemisphere and the pool better. And I think that would that would be you know, a big thing for the ECB to reach out and branch out and help bring them all together. Final question. Uh, what would you say to the people who, who would say, what good does that do for Dutch cricket if it goes horribly wrong? So if England make 450 
or the Netherlands are bowled out for 80. They say, what good does that do for Dutch cricketers? It doesn't do anything for Dutch cricketers. It doesn't um, devalue Dutch cricket. It certainly doesn't enhance it, but it doesn't devalue it. Dutch cricket will not, it'll not be the be all and end all of playing against England. You know, Dutch cricket in this 12, 13 group team, bilateral series to get to the World Cup qualifying, they're no further forward if they lose 3 0. They're no further forward if England get 400 and bowl them out for 80. But they're no further backwards either because then they'll go and play their three matches against somebody else, three matches against somebody else, try and qualify for the seven. They won't get there. They'll end up going into that five with another five and trying. Uh, one thing we'll do, you know what? Suresh Ahmed, Baz Delida, you know what that'll do? They'll go, I have never bowled at anybody like Owen Morgan before. <laughs> I have never bowled at anybody like Jason Roy before. I have never bowled at anybody like Liam Livingston before. And do you know what they'll do? They'll learn that is the standard. That is the level. And they'll make sure the next time they go into a game, no matter who they play against, it's like when I played against Australia, my second, third, fourth, and fifth test match was against that great Australia side of Hayden, Langer, Ponton, uh, Steve Waugh, Damian Martin, Adam Gilchrist, Warren McGrath, Lee, yeah, you name it, Gillespie. I'm going, I came back from that going, in 14, 15 test matches until I play them again, I will not play anybody again again as good as them. So you will get confidence from actually the disappointment of playing against somebody who is unbelievable. And that's what I'll do for Dutch cricket. You've been listening to Following On. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder, you can hear all three ODIs between England and the Netherlands exclusively live on the TalkSport network. And it all gets underway at 9.30am on Friday morning here on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 